0: Today's sermon is called A Recollection of Baptism, an Introduction to the Reason, Response, and Rejoicing of Baptism. We will be in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. So if you would, would you please turn there, stand for the reading of God's Word. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into His death, in order that, just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we give You all the glory today. We give You all the glory with our voice. We give You all the glory with our time and attention. And we give You the glory this morning with our obedience to You into Your Word. What You ask of us, Lord, may we do in the fullness of our heart, in the clarity of our mind, and the purity of our very soul. I ask too this morning, that for the little ones running around, that You would, through the power of Your Spirit, use this service as an opportunity for a sanctifying work in their life. May they too, in their little ears, hear the Gospel preached clearly. Would they be, as it were, cut to the heart. We pray these things this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen Amen. and Amen. You guys can be seated. So in our house, we um, split responsibilities, my wife and I, Lindsay. And you know, there's like some things that both the husband and the wife need to know how to do. Uh, You know, we have some kids, so diaper changing is kind of a two-person job. There's a you know, stuff like cooking dinners and so forth. Actually, this summer, you'll be surprised to know that my wife, Lindsay, has fallen in love with mowing the lawn. I thought that was just something contractually obligated to me. And so we're joining in on that. Now, there are some things that like she does that I have no idea that happen, and I do that she has no idea that happens. Like um, oil changes. Like if you come and talk to me about oil changes, I change my own oil typically, i got a lot to say about it. Filters, mileage preferred oil type if you talk to Lindsay about an oil change I don't know she would say something like I think I've had one I'm pretty sure they're good and direct the rest of your questions to my husband if you need them I find the same is true with uh, some of the Christian doctrine we encounter in the church there's some things we all believe that we should know But when it gets to some of the more technical details of the doctrine about what the Bible says about who God is, there's just some stuff that's like, I'm sure it's good, probably should know it, but you could just refer to my pastor or YouTube preacher for that information. I've come this morning to tell you guys that if it's in the Bible, it's worth knowing about. It's not just... Good to have some cursory understanding enough that you know that you can be saved and leave the rest to the experts. God has come into the world and made His church. Beloved, you are the experts. Now, when we get to the Scripture, we are inevitably going to encounter this term called baptism. And this is widely regarded if I was to question a bunch of Christians about what baptism means. This is one of the things that you would reply to like my wife replies to oil changes. I'm sure it's good. I think I've had one. And you can refer the rest of your questions to my pastor. But the truth is that the Bible doesn't just talk about a ceremony of baptism for our good and service. Baptism is a different another side of the revelation of who Christ is. It teaches us about the character and nature and kindness of God. It is a worthwhile doctrine to know. Maybe I could ask it to you like this. How would you respond if someone were to come to you with prying questions about baptism? Would you know where to go? Would you smile and say, Oh, this is so good and so deep? Or would you try searching for the crossing website and to try to find somebody's number to give this question off to? These things are worth knowing. And we will find that with any amount of cursory study of baptism, there's a great deal we can learn about God. Now, we have. No time to cover all of baptism today, so I just want to go through a couple quick points here. Three for you. First, the reason for baptism. Second, we'll talk about the requirements for baptism. And finally, the rejoice of baptism. So, number one, we'll be back in Romans 6, the reading for today. We're going to discuss the reason for baptism. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, defines baptism like this. Get ready, because it's kind of a mouthful. Baptism is the outward act that symbolizes the inward phenomenon of coming to and accepting Jesus Christ as real, as God incarnate, and as the sacrificial means by which those who believe in Him can forever be reconciled to God. The purpose of baptism is to give a visual testimony of our commitment to Christ, and it is designed to be one of the first steps of discipleship. Baptism is an outward symbol of an internal truth. Now, I remember years ago when I was first dealing with being baptized and, and, and becoming a Christian and kind of wrestling through those things. One of my first questions was like, okay, I get it. Like we have a ceremony for becoming a Christian, but like, why the water? Couldn't we pick something less wet? It's it's a hassle. It's you know, you gotta wear the dark clothing and the towel and and all this stuff. Well, this, this picture of water is a symbol that t- tells us and reminds us about Christ. Let's look to um, Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into important His death? We were buried, therefore, into His death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. One of the first things I want you to observe about this text is that there is no mention of water whatsoever. We have the word baptism, but we don't have any water. Because this text isn't talking about the ceremony of dunking somebody or submerging them in water. They are talking right now in Romans 6 about what the ceremony, what the symbol represents. We were buried in Christ. The Bible says that in the beginning, in the garden, Adam was in the garden and he sinned. And Scripture declares that all of etern- or all, all people groups were in his loins. All people were in him. He was the firstborn. Or the first made. So every person thereafter was born into a curse of sin. They couldn't get out of it. And then Jesus comes. In verse 524 it says He brings a message. Now what's interesting about Jesus is that He was born, but He was not born in the same way that everybody else was born. Christmas isn't just a holiday, it's an important doctrine. He wasn't born under the curse of Adam in sin. And so He could come and declare a message that was entirely new and different. He says in John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but this is important, but has passed out of death into life. Isn't that backwards? Don't you go life to death? Christ comes with a message from, I will bring you from death into life. The picture of baptism in water is a symbol of our submersion, which is the word what baptism means. Submerge. It's a picture of our burial. How is this possible? Because when He comes and brings this message we read about in John 5.24, He says if you believe in Him, what happens in the Spirit, I move from being in Adam in sin, by faith I transfer myself and Scripture says that I am now in Christ. I'm in Christ. So then, if I'm in Christ from now and forevermore, both eternity past and eternity future, when Jesus died on the cross, who was with Him? Those who were in Christ. And when he was buried in the rich man's tomb, who was with him then? Those who are in Christ. It goes on further in verse 4 of Romans 6, as Christ was raised from the dead, going on in verse 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If I'm in Christ when he died... I'm certainly in Christ when He raises anew. This is the picture of baptism of being brought out of the water. Now it's important to note, nothing magical is happening to you or anybody else when you get baptized, okay? This isn't um, some sort of recipe that something magical happens in your body when you dip into some water. Let me give you a picture here. Look at that. Look at that hunk in the foreground. This picture was taken April twenty fourth, two 2008 in Greeley, Colorado in the back parking lot of a community college called Ames Community College. That strapping young gent there in the front is Pastor Aaron and he had the privilege just a few minutes before this picture was taken baptizing me. See that skinny little hunk there in the back with his head bowed all holy? There I am. Now there's a few things you need to notice about this picture. Number one, we're in the parking lot of a community college. Number two, That big box right there is a converted retirement home bathtub on wheels. And number three, the water filled in this baptism came out of a spigot right on the back of that community college parking lot. This is not a recipe for magic. But I assure you, beloved, it worked. And it was significant. And it means a great deal to me that this happened because it is forever engraved in my heart to be a sign of my allegiance to Christ. It's a symbol of something of great significance. Kind of like a wedding ring. You know, I have a wedding ring on because I'm married. I don't, when I slide my wedding ring on, I don't get superpowers. I don't fall more or less in love with my wife. I've got to be honest with you, this thing was purchased for $12.99 on Amazon. But it does have, when it clinks against the counter, or the glisten of the sun hits the reflecting metal in my light and it shines into my eye, it does bring to me a constant reminder of the covenant that I am in with my wife. It is a picture of something of great significance. Some Just quick takeaways for those of you, this might be review, and, but for some of you visitors here, this might be important. Baptism is just a symbol. It's a symbol of your confessing your allegiance to Christ. Number two, nothing is happening in baptism that hasn't already happened in faith. And number three, we get baptized a certain way by submersion because it reminds us of the death and resurrection of Christ. We don't pour over water here. We don't sprinkle. I don't get a mister out. None of that looks like burial and resurrection. And so the symbol doesn't link itself up. Number two, the requirements for baptism. We're gonna to go to Acts chapter 2. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. It is an accounting, if you will, of the birth of the church. Peter, a disciple of Jesus, after Jesus' great commission sent out, and he's he's an apostle and he's preaching. Peter's preaching, and when he finishes his sermon, this is what we pick up in verse 37. Chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall I do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, And for the promise is before you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhorting them continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation in verse 41 this is important so those who received his word were baptized and they added to their number about 3000 souls the passage that we record here is the birth of the Christian church how does it happen through the preaching of the word and then there's an important phrase in verse 37 it says they were cut to the heart this isn't head knowledge. This isn't somebody coming up to an ideological response to a good point in an argument. Something internally, internally, something invisibly was going on. And they respond to Peter, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. If we do an autopsy of the text, just real quick, for those of you taking notes, the Word is preached. They're cut to the heart and they receive the Word. Number two. Number three, they're baptized. And number four, they're baptized in front of the witnesses of the church and become a part of the church. But this begs a very important question if you're reading this text. How do we know who truly is the Christian? Paul is, or Peter is preaching and then there's a bunch of people. Scripture says 3,000 souls get baptized. How do we know that they are truly Christians? Don't you wish there was just like a test? Or maybe what we should do is we should follow them around for a certain amount of time to make sure that what they said is actually true. Maybe they have to have a certain understanding of a doctrine. Maybe that's what we should do. We should really make them use the right words and say them in the right order and in the right way. None of those things are present in the text. No amount of shame No amount of understanding. No level of doctrine is necessary. Just belief. So how does somebody get saved? If the standard for baptism is faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, what is the standard for faith? It says this in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you heard the word, and believed in Him, Heard the Word, believed. Guess what? You're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the promise of inheritance, of eternal life. Romans 10.9 Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He's raised from the dead, there's that baptism symbol, you will be saved. You know, I believe that if things are to be important, they need to have a standard. You have to keep a standard for things to hold their value. That's just the way it all works. I'm a former coach. I used to coach a lot of um, track and field events, namely the high jump. Actually, we have a friend here, my, my buddy Alex. He's a little guy, but he jumps really, really high. He's like one of the best high jumpers in this city's history. He knows a lot about it. He's a coach as well. High jump is a simple game, right? It's a simple task. All you have to do is jump off one foot over a bar, and if the bar stays on the standard, you have cleared the height and you get to go to the next height. The standard is important. We measure with a bunch of tapes and we get it, make sure that it's level and it's important and we're really meticulous. But all you have to do is clear the bar. Suppose, if you will, that I go to approach a height or you go to approach a height and you jump over the bar and you just barely clear it, but you land on the pit, you look at the bar and it stays up and you're raising your hands. And the judge says, no, we're not going to count that one. And you say, why? Did I commit some sort of foul? Did I miss the standard? And he's like, no, you didn't really miss any standard, but I just don't think you cleared it by enough height. I think you just, you know, we have to add like at least three inches. You have to clear the bar by at least that much. Isn't that judge adding to the standard that's already been agreed upon? Maybe you could ask it like this Are you, brothers and sisters, adding to the standard of baptism more than what the Bible commands? The standard is faith, it is belief in the power of God and the Gospel as the power of God unto salvation. And this, these are beautiful words. And that's it. This is the part of the service where you say, Amen. amen. <laughs> it's, it's really good that that is true. Now, I know that there are times when we need to make sure that we're clarifying words and language. I'm not saying that we need to be carte blanche with this, but there is a bar in the Scripture that is laid, and we shouldn't go any higher than that. I also know that we should not go any lower than that. Things like uh, mass baptisms where you see some camp where thousands of people are being baptized. Or the picture in the Christian community where some people just come because they're superstitious and this is their way to not go to hell. They don't believe Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. They just don't want to go to the bad place and they figure baptism is kind of their, their key card the way through. That is setting the standard of baptize or baptism, and bringing it way too far down. It should be no lower than the standard, but it should be no higher. Here's some things to consider as we work through this. Some thoughts on your standard of baptism. Number one, have you been cut to the heart by the preaching of the Gospel? A lot of visitors here today have you heard the word of salvation? And something's happening in you that's not just head knowledge. You're, you have a conviction, as it were, about who Christ is. And you're beginning to start down this process of believing that He is who He said He is and He did exactly what He said He did. If that is you today, today can be the day of salvation. There's no, there's no uh, game or test or certain way you have to say it. Would you, here now, in your heart, transfer your trust over to the Lord? And if that's true for you, would you come after the service or even here now and find a pastor and begin to talk through what that means and the significance of that? Today can be the day of salvation. Number two, have you been baptized in the past but for different motives and reasons? Maybe you were baptized as a baby. Maybe you thought it was a superstition and now after hearing this, you're thinking, oh man, that wasn't the case. I too want you to come and talk to a pastor and work through what that means and the significance of it, and if baptism something that could be in your near future. And number three, and hear me on this, parents, are you holding your child back from baptism even though you know they are believers? Are you raising the hurdle for your kids higher than the Bible allows? Do you want it to be important or able for them to be remembered or, 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 or some level of significance that isn't scriptural? Let me give you this picture. This is a great picture here. This is the moment just after my wife and I were married. They, you know, we kissed, we did the rings, we did this stuff. They turned and we started to walk down the aisle and I was holding her hand. And what's cool about this picture is I will remember exactly what I was thinking at this very moment. I'm holding my wife's hands. Look how good she looks holding her hand, and I'm walking down the aisle, and I'm thinking to myself, right now, I'm as married as I'm ever going to be. I don't get more married tomorrow. And you want to know my next thought? I have no clue what I'm doing. (laughs) Should the standard of marriage be you can only be married when you know a bunch of stuff about marriage? May it never be. No, that is impossible. This is an outward expression of what has already gone on between Lindsay and I's hearts in the Lord. Baptism is no different. We do not have to be experts in doctrine to receive baptism water. Point number three. The rejoice of baptism. We're going to be in Acts 16, working through in in, um, Acts 16, verse 30, but I want to give you some context here. Paul. An apostle is spreading the gospel and he's with his partner Silas. And they get in some trouble. They get arrested because they're preaching the word and it's kind of causing a ruckus in the community. Now it's late at night. It's like midnight. And they're praying and worshiping. That's what it says. They were praying and singing hymns to the Lord. This picture of rejoicing. And all of a sudden, as they're in their jail cell and shackled up, the the jail doors spring open and the shackles fall off. And they start to say, what's going on here? And there's a jailer in the story, a Roman guard, who was asleep on the job. He wakes up to all these doors open and all these prisoners free. And he thinks, I'm in big, big trouble here. To such a degree that he's going to hurt himself. Because he knows the punishment is going to be so severe. And in the darkness of that night, Paul cries out, stop! We're all still here. We haven't left. And the Roman guard is cut to the heart, if you will and he falls down before Paul. And this is what we pick up in verse 30. Where is it? There it is. Then, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all of your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to Him and to all who were in His house. And He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once he and all his family then he brought them up into his house and set food before them amen and he rejoiced along with his entire house that he had believed in god we love to celebrate stuff we got birthdays and weddings you know don't get me started into the, as a pastor doing like all the pomp and circumstance of weddings it is unbelievable we have college graduations. We have baby showers. We have baby sprinkles. What do you do for your third one? You get a switz. I don't know. We celebrate all kinds of stuff. But one of the things I've always thought that was a little funny, kind of felt flat, was the great opportunity that I've had in my life to sit with somebody and watch them work through this salvi- um, salvific work of Christ when they begin to commit their life to Christ right in front of your eyes. It's one of the greatest joys I've ever had in my life. And there's been a number of times where we're sitting at the coffee shop or whatever and somebody wants to make this commitment and they're, they're, they're crying and they're confessing their sin, they're realizing who Christ is. And so, you know, we talk through it and they pray and they transfer their, their trust and then you you open your eyes and... And you kind of lean back and you're like, well, see, see you Sunday, man. <laughs> Doesn't it just kind of fall flat? I mean, if we're going to have birthday cakes and, and all of this stuff, why can't we have this great celebration for the greatest decision somebody can make in their life? You know, I wish there was just a way where we could gather everybody together and bring somebody up and just, you know, kind of honor them for making this decision. I wish there was like some kind of a symbol, you know? Some kind of a symbol that we could put in front that everybody did that kind of reflected what was going on. You get where I'm going? Baptism is an ordinance given by the Lord that we should obey. But it is also a blessing given in the Lord that we should celebrate. What strikes me about the text in Acts 16 is how similar it is to Acts 2. There's a sermon, what must I do? Cut to the heart, repent and believe. And then they're baptized right there. But what we don't see is this party here at the end in verse 34. Let me prove it to you. In verse 34, He brought them up into His house and He set food before them, and He rejoiced. That is literally the word. You could translate it. And they celebrated. An internal joy externally displayed. And they celebrated with His entire house and believed in God. This is a party, a celebration of, and a proper end to the most miraculous work a human can inquire. Now, a proper baptism celebration needs a few things. We're going to go real fast here. Number one, you need a believer who hasn't been baptized before. If you've been baptized before as a believer, trust me, don't worry about it. It worked the first time. We only are baptized once here. Because Christ only died and resurrected once, and he will never do it again. We don't need to have big plans. We can make an, this an immediate step. They went from the jail to the baptism, to the house. same night. Group two: a believing, a group of believe, or number two, sorry, a group of believing witnesses. We don't do baptisms in your bathtub. This isn't something meant to do during a quiet time. This is a public display of your affection to Christ. This is an obedient command in front of many witnesses. Now, there's a reason for this. Number one, so that the people there that are watching can say, I was there when he was baptized. He's a Christian. I was there. Just like you would say, I know that they're married. I was at their wedding. Number two, that can be helpful. If you are beginning to walk astray, to live in sin to make decisions that we're not pleasing or honoring to Christ, there could be a faithful brother or sister that comes to you and says, I am calling you right now back to the day you were baptized. I was there. You made a confession. You made a commitment. You made a you, you took the sign of baptism. You need to return back to that day and get off this path of sin. And number three, baptism should be in public because it's a witness and a testimony to everybody else. If you're not a believer and you get baptized, there's a lot of questions that come to mind. Questions that have a lot of answers that relate to Christ. And if you are a believer, what a great testimony it is to see yet another person added to the Lamb's Book of Life. I would say the best crowd possible to make this true is the um, the local church. Getting baptized in your local church. If you're not a part of a local church, we need to get you baptized and then get you into a local church. But if you've been raised up or you're a part of a church community here at the Crossing or wherever else, getting baptized in front of an audience and a, witness, a group of witnesses that walk with you every day is best practice. Final, final observation. It's important to, what we, uh, to see what we don't observe in Acts 16. We have salvation. We have baptism but we do not yet have communion. And here's the argument I want to make with you. Though it is not specifically implied in the scripture, it is helpful to understand the order of the ordinances. You are saved and then you make a public confession of that salvation through baptism and then you join in the communion table. Now, there's many of you here that are like, "Uh-oh," haven't been baptized, and I've been taking communion. There's no no sin. There's no problem here. Just go get baptized as soon as you can. Maybe even today. There is a natural development to our obedience to Christ. And I do think it sends a message to the world more accurate to what Christ is trying to display. One final observation about this party. Maybe this could tie a bow on our picture of what baptism is, we see in verse 25 that Paul and Silas are worshiping and praying and singing hymns. They're rejoicing. And then we see in verse 34b that they just picked up right where they left off. That he rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. They picked up right where they'd left off, but there was one extra thing one more voice added to the choir. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Isn't that the picture of the growth of the church? Let me ask you this in closing. Who is the one person that comes to mind right now that you have been praying for or are praying for, asking the Lord, beseeching upon Him that one day this person would be numbered among us, joining in the chorus of a glorious hymn? We have a Roman jailer who knows nothing about the details of Christ, but all he had to know was enough that he was Lord and King. And that leads to a worship. What a great picture. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You today for who You are and the many blessings that You've given to us. Namely today, the blessing of baptism. This is not just an act or a charade we do in public. This has meaning. And we, Lord, today as we enter into a baptism portion of our service, may this be the greatest illustration of who You are. May we learn not just about the ordinance, but about the King Himself. We thank You, Father, for all that You've done in death and in resurrection. May we too be renewed to walk in the very newness of life. Amen.